listening to a message from Red Church in Melbourne, Australia. If you'd like to know more about Red or its ministries, please go to redchurch.org.au. I want to dive into to it a little bit today. Um, I have some primary and secondary sources, uh, but as is usual with history, it's based on interpretation. It's also based on a personal bias. So this is my understanding of events. A lot of the historical records were burned in a fire, uh, which I will talk about um, in, in a moment, as um, things came against the church, whether they be internal within the political world of people who like division, uh, or whether it be external with Great Depression, flus, which in those days people died. Um, but where I want to spend the most of the time on is when what was South Melbourne Church of Christ became red. Uh, and that is our most recent history. Um, and some things I'm looking forward to sharing with you there. But basically in 1867, 152 years ago, a massive evangelist came out from America and would hold rallies in the thousands of people. And people were coming to faith. It wasn't an easy time in Melbourne. It was still establishing. Melbourne is very young. I still say it's got nappies on. And um, all these people came to faith. A lot of them lived in the surrounding areas of the Melbourne city. South Melbourne being one of those suburbs that was just beginning. But it was on marshlands. And it was just really tense. And so it was called the tent city. People were poor. The most um, common uh, grouping of people were families and the average um, amount of children was five. So don't think young hipsters who love lattes. Think families doing it tough. This is a, these are beautiful houses. Most people lived in tents um, with five children and lucky to have two pieces of bread and a slice of onion to eat. So the day in which um, South Melbourne was formed was not an easy one. It started off as sort of like a, um, a little gathering of people at the top of a shop, so not in a church building, and the first 10 years were really tough. And the way in which I would probably describe the first 10 years, um, or the whole story really, is one of growth and decline, and then growth and decline. And as you read the history, and I did it again last night to make sure what I was telling you was true, <laughs> You're left with this grieved sense that there was this um, bevy of potential in, in a group and a church of people, but sometimes for reasons beyond their own control and sometimes for reasons that were within their control, things came against the unity of the people and against the calling that was on the church. But there was something within it that meant God always had a hand on it. And it would have sparks of growth and then something would happen and it would decline again. Sparks of growth, something would happen and it would decline. So I'm not going to go into great detail, but this just gives you a little bit of a snapshot. Um, and again, these are my headings for my understanding of the history. So the first 10 years, difficult, difficult beginnings. There was no leader. The average leader would last two months. They couldn't find a building, so they were roaming from place to place. They couldn't find purpose. They couldn't find direction. And so the majority of what they would do is hang out socially. I think this is the human condition. It's what we do when we don't have purpose and direction. Then in 1878, Mr. Illingworth. I know, he sounds weighty, like when you read it in the book. I have no idea who he is, but Mr. Illingworth turns up. And Mr. Illingworth was an apostle. And he injected this energy and this purpose and this direction, got them kick-started, gave them motivation, helped them realise who Jesus was and what he was calling them to in that time and place. And they like quadrupled in size and were at their peak under his, um, under his leadership. So it had a growth stage. 
And then in 1890, typo, 1890, division struck twice. There were two church splits. Mr. Illingworth had brought it up to um, a, a bevy of people. There was 250 people and 200 kids, which at that time, in that era, was big. This Church of Christ, um, known as South Melbourne, is actually the fifth oldest Church of Christ in Victoria. And uh, he had brought it to its sort of peak and to its heyday. Uh, but this is where the internal realities of what can mark church life hit. And a group of people left creating division within the church. It took him time to rebuild that. And then another half of the church left again uh, to uh, start Middle Park Church of Christ. And so they were brought right back down again. So growth, decline, growth, decline. 1916, Mr. Erlingworth returns because of the devastation that had marked the community and he rebuilt it again and put his energy in. The reason why he left was not because he wasn't enjoying it or because uh, he wasn't welcomed, he was actually greatly loved, is that someone said to him, quote, unquote, you need to be planting more churches, you need to not just do this one. And this is what is called an apostle. An apostle means to be sent out, to expand, to grow. And so as an apostle, he planted a whole series of churches. He just had two significant stints at South Melbourne. And when he was there, the place was healthy and the place was bustling. When he was there, different missional activities would be kick-started. There was um, singing groups. There was um, Dorcas societies. Does anyone know what they are? I don't either. I had to look it up. It's where you go and you help the poor and you give them clothes and you give them food. And so when he was there, this energy was released from within the people and they started to minister and bless the society, um, the surrounding suburb of South Melbourne, which desperately needed it because it was poor um, and people were doing it tough. Then he leaves again to start other churches and do other things and the Great Depression hits, the flu epidemic hits, the chapel that was built through Mr. Ellingworth is burnt down, the age quoted because of a faulty connection in the hall. I read that last night and went, I wonder if that was like symbolic. And the whole thing was burnt. The records of the church burnt, everything burnt and they had to start again. Growth, decline, growth, decline. And then from then on, it was just hard work. It was really tough. It was struggle. Uh, numbers were tiny. Again, disunity. Again, struggle. And this is when the 60s hit and all the things that have hit our society where they started from the sexual revolution and fridges and people coming back from the war, consumerism, adolescence, the Beatles, so on and so forth. And from then on, it was just a hard slog. And the church struggled to an eventual demise in the 1980s. In the 1980s, um, it basically didn't exist. There are a few loyal people left. And that is uh, when someone else was invited to come in. Now, before I tell you that story... What I notice when I read the history and I look at it is that when there's growth, there was a strong evangelistic impulse in the church. And in fact, their pastors weren't called pastors, they were called evangelists. And there was a strong apostolic thing on the church. When it was doing and was in alignment with what God was doing, it couldn't help but grow and multiply. It was just a grace that was on that church and it was innovative. It had an innovation, as I said before, that would kickstart all of these things to help and speak into the needs of the culture at that time. Where you look at the decline, there is a pattern of a number of things. 
There is a definite religious spirit within the community of the people. Part of that is one of the divisions that occurred which resulted in the split was that people insisted that we only do in a church service what is explicitly said in the New Testament. So if there are no organs in the New Testament, we are not having... This was a literal debate. I know. It's amazing. And one of the biggest innovative things they could do was when one of the leaders said, I don't care what you say, we're bringing in an organ. And from then people started to sing. And from then there was praises. And from then it started to quicken things. An organ. Should we bring one? The Roland. <laughs> the Roland. <laughs> but this is what you will see throughout churches in all of Melbourne. There has been a religious spirit over the territory of this land. It's a religious spirit that is marked by what should be happening, not what the spirit is doing. It is a religious spirit that holds people to a standard and churches to a standard. And the way you know a religious spirit is when the word should is used regularly. It should, it should, it should, I should, you should, should, should. And this came against the potential that was in that church. The second thing, division, as I've spoken about, um, came across and often where there is a religious spirit, division comes. Why? Because the enemy hates unity. I don't know if you've noticed, but unity is not a natural human phenomenon. We cannot, we can get along, but I'm talking about that unity where you feel bonded in soul. And it's like a slipstream that you're just moving down together. And you may not necessarily agree, but there's something bigger that is taking you together. There's a love that is not your own. There's a place in the spirit that binds you. And this division would just short circuit what was coming. And the last one was natural disasters. Flu, fire, war, depression. And so really the story of South Melbourne Church of Christ is this teeny tiny little shoot that was always there, that would sometimes grow and then sometimes be pruned right back, sometimes by the hand of God, more often than not by the hand of people. And yet it just was there. For those who are more visual, the way I'd explain it is that something would start and it would happen and it was good. And because of that, it would grow and it would start to have a sense of um, vitality about it. And because of that, it would start to have a ripple effect in the community and surrounding areas and the kingdom of God would start to pulsate. And then a crisis would happen. Do you like my slides, by the way? Thank you. <laughs> a crisis would happen, and within that crisis, it was brought back to worse from what it was before the latest cycle happened. And this happens, I've counted about eight times in the history of the last uh, 19, 150 years. How are we going? Are we all right? Are those who are bored with history doing okay? Are those who like history doing okay? Steve, are you doing okay? Okay. PowerPoint. Is a PowerPoint all right? Awesome. <laughs> Excellent. So what, the whole point of sharing that with you, and it's the same with your life, is to understand patterns, understand themes. The story of Israel has patterns and themes. The stories of the disciples have patterns and themes. The story of the history of the church has patterns and themes. The story of of God's um, chosen, the Jews, has patterns and themes. You personally have patterns and themes, and the best thing you can do is understand what they are. And more often than not, the story of your past gives you the seeds for what is to be in the future. There will be green shoots. There will be patterns of promise and patterns of hope that the Lord wants you to grasp onto and run with. And things are going to come against you. You know what is God's call on your life or who it is you're called to be based on the theme of the struggles that come against you. 
The story of your life is the story of the one being an enemy who knows who you could be and fears it. Therefore, concocts tailor-made circumstances and situations to actually stop you from walking into the very potential and future that God's actually put you on earth for. And so we see this in the story of um, South Melbourne. Now, what I have to highlight, I have to highlight, this is the list of the leaders at South Melbourne Church of Christ. This is the last page. Uh, You'll see my numbers here. I hope you're proud of this, Steve. I went to my primary sources and I had a look at everything that was going on. The average leadership at South Melbourne in the 150 years, except for Mr Illingworth, lasted two years. So no wonder it couldn't actually go somewhere. But the one I want to highlight to you here is this. From 1982, as a student minister, so first hosting, and then from 1983 to 85, was a man called Brian Tunks. And the minutes of South Melbourne at that time say, the church would like to congratulate Brian and, what's your mum's name? Kathy. Kathy, for the birth of a baby girl. That baby girl was Joanne Tunks, later to become Joanne Evans. (laughs) Now, anyone who knows history or how history works knows that's significant. Anyone who understands how God works and his sovereign hand and purposes knows that is significant. That without anyone even knowing, without us even knowing, Brian, when we went through the history, oh my goodness, Joe is born in this era at that church. And where are we today? So there's patterns, there's themes, there's jewels to be found when you look at history, you look at your story. Um, But really, as I said, in the 80s, it was barely existing. There was a bit of a pulse, tiny pulse, tiny breath. Um, And what happened was, as I showed you in that little diagram, that something would kick off, start, crisis would happen, and and there'd be this little green shoot. So the next attempt to kickstart something in South Melbourne was the beginning of a church called South Melbourne Restoration Community. This was started by a man and his wife, Alan Hirsch and Deb Hirsch. Hands up if you've heard of these guys. They're quite well known in certain circles. Uh, These guys are great. These are your grandparents, everybody. (laughs) Your spiritual grandparents in this church community are Alan and Deb Hirsch. Alan is a Messianic Jew who became a Christian. You can see his Star of David. Deb has an amazing story. Deb's history is colourful. She has a punk background. She's engaged in all sorts of behaviours that I'll let her tell you about herself if you ever have the privilege to meet her. But part of her story and part of her testimony and part of what ended up making South Melbourne Restoration Community what it was is her story and how God redeemed her story to bring healing and hope to many people. They had a heart for people and they wanted to go and they wanted to bring the gospel to the margins. And Deb in particular has an incredible ability to connect with anyone. Whether you're a high-flying corporate or you're in the ditches literally in St Kilda, she can connect with you and make you feel seen. And so they attracted and South Melbourne Restoration Community grew quite quickly and people would move from all around Australia just to come to this church. This was the logo at the time. It's quite nice, I suppose. Red equals Jesus plus life. Or Jesus equals, yeah, Jesus plus life equals red. So that was our slogan. 
at the time. South Melbourne Restoration Community quickly grew. Mark Sayers, who happens to be the senior leader of us at the moment, got a map out and he said, let's just map where everyone's coming from. And there was a definite set of, um, oh, that's to give you a taste of the creativity of what church doesn't look like. I don't know why there's a noose in the middle of the ceiling. Uh, but such is what happens when you're at South Melbourne Restoration Community. So they at Christmas time. Yeah, Christmas time. So what you had is that just let's just where are people coming from? They're coming from all over Melbourne. Where are they coming from? And there were definite four hubs. There was a north, a south, which is where the building was, which is the building um, that was rebuilt after the fire. There was then a west, and then there was an east. Just made it. And uh, one of the um, one of the people on team, Rod Begbie, is a Spanish speaker, and he said, "Well, let's call it Red because Red is Spanish for net." And they wanted to become a network. So, hands up if that's new learning for you today. That's what red, that's where the name came from. It's not just because it's a cool colour. But there is a greater meaning to it that I'll share in a moment. Um, But that's just so that you know that story. So what happened then is Alan Hirsch became quite well known for his, he was an apostle also. So again, another theme over the church. And as an apostle, he was... um, having a lot of thinking, a lot of thought, very smart man, very humble man around what is church and how much of how we do church is because that's just what we do and how much of how we do church is because that's what Jesus is actually asking of and working in his people at the moment. He started a network called Forge, hands up if you've heard of Forge, um, and it was a house church network. And Red became, I don't know if you know, but you guys are well known around the world, Red became um, almost like this flagship for a new way of church in this era and a sense of there was buzz and word on the street was there's going to be a new reformation that this has gone into decline and we need to reawaken the church and we need to remind the people and we need to release the priesthood of all believers. And it was an incredibly exciting time. I caught wind of this. I um, grew up Baptist Church of Christ for no other reason than that's just my history. And I would sit in church and for no reason other than I would just have a disquiet and an edginess about me. I wasn't angry with the church. I wasn't upset with anybody. I just, part of my story was this alarm bell was going off because I knew there was more. The Lord asked me to stop everything I was doing. I don't know who's ever asked you to do that. It's very confronting. took me three months to actually believe it was him, not the enemy. And I pulled out of everything. I went through all the Messiah complex of if I don't play piano, who's going to play piano in the PM? And if I don't lead you to a Bible, who's going to lead you to a Bible? You know, that thing that we all go through. And God goes, I'm the king, I'm asking you to do this. I did it. It's the best thing I could have done. I learned so much. No one spoke to me anymore. Not because I've been rude or were upset with me. They had no reason to. I wasn't organising something or I wasn't being part of what was organised, so I didn't need to be spoken to. That was very confronting. The other thing I did was I'd sit at the back of church instead of here. I was always at the front. And I was like, if I've never set foot in a church before, And this is my first experience. What would this be like for me? We are weird. (laughs) We are so weird. It only makes sense when you're in it. If you're on the outside and you look at what we do, we're strange people. There's a whole story to that that I'll come back to. But there was something the Holy Spirit was doing as he was awakening in me something bigger. And he was saying, and then he took me to Perth 
for a year with just me and him by the Swan River. And I really started to think and go through almost what felt like a faith crisis, but it wasn't. It was a church crisis. What is church? Who is the church? And how do we ensure that we're not just another community group with Jesus on the top, but actually a group and a body of believers that are united by him and motivated by him and fueled by him? And so I was a stellar candidate for Forge. I would go to a Forge meeting or conference. I did an internship and I would leave going, I feel like I've just been to the chiropractor and my whole spirit has been aligned. My whole body is back in in shape. Why? Because it was about you can't know Jesus and not love him. And in loving him, you cannot be passionate about the people he loves. And in loving the people that he loves, why are we not going to where they are and why are we waiting them to come to us? So let's go to the pubs. Let's go to the cafes. Let's go to the beach. Let's do all of this stuff. Now, if you're sitting here this morning, you'll realise we're not in a cafe and we're not in a pub because there's a story there. But this is part of the journey of what happened. We started off in houses. Quote, unquote, put your hand up. Who's ever heard? We've just got to get back to Acts 2. Just if we would the church, we'd just get back. To, and I, I agree. I'm like, totally. And so we were there not realising that it's the spirit that did that, not a model. And uh, so we tried the house model. So the house model met here at Gissing Street. Mark started this with eight people in his lounge room. We were called East because we were in the east. There was north, south, west. It had no leadership. It was a flat leadership. It did not have any structure. It was all about relationships. Let's just get people together and God will do his thing. Uh, not always the case. Oh, sorry. Um, over food, over meals, high relational connection um, and fun. This is fun. This was good. We felt like we belonged. Uh, but it didn't take long to realise that this was not sustainable. Um, doesn't mean the house model's not, by the way. Uh, but in our time and place in Melbourne, with a very liquid culture, with a very transient culture, um, it makes it very hard. The average house church in Melbourne survives three years. And over the 30 churches that Forge planted in Melbourne, they have all faded and gone. Is the model wrong? Not necessarily because it's all about Jesus and mission and people, communities. There's something in our culture that is corrosive, that is eroding the very thing that those, those models are designed um, to meet. The culture is stronger than the model. The air that you breathe is stronger than the theory. And the air that you breathe is stronger than your belief at times. And so for us, we're like, this isn't working. Okay, let's try next thing. Right. Let's be a missional church because that's what Forge is all about and we're red and red is Forge, so we better actually do what we preach. And um, this was, so let's meet in a cafe. And let's meet in a cafe. Um, This is when I came on board, 2004. We met up here. It was called The Engine Shed. And what I loved about it was that there was flat leadership. The community led the church. It was the priesthood of all believers. We um, wrote the sermon together. So a thought would be put out or a passage would be put out and then we would collectively speak to it. Um, The community was the teacher. The unspoken belief was that church is the problem. We later found out it was us who were the problem. People, the human heart is the problem. But if we put mission first, if we would just put mission first, everything else is going to fall into place. Again, a couple of years in, 
not sustainable. People started having children. What do we do with these children? Um, we were in public spaces and waiters kept coming and going asking if we wanted tea and coffee and would sometimes eavesdrop, but it actually became um, more of an interference and it became a healthy thing. So we realised spaces were important. We need our own space. So we kept the missional model and heart, but we want to actually have our own space. So we rented this. Yes, I know you can't find it because you couldn't either, even when you were looking for it up here. It's the most unmissional thing you can do. Let's rent a space that no one can find, that has no signage, and that you have to go down a tiny little alleyway and navigate a stack of pigeons with pigeon poo, crawl up steps that bang, because they're aluminium, bang, 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 and then open into an office space with everyone staring at you. It was I don't know what we were thinking, but he would have thought leaders can make bad decisions. And uh, we were there for a couple of years. But what began to happen was we rediscovered the importance of teaching the word. Community can be great, but if it's just community and there is no word being spoken, it can only go so far. This is the community of people at the time. So we're about 30 or so. Um, this is the space. That's where the kids' room was. You can see one mother trying to get an eye in. Everyone seated on the floor, tucked around different areas. And everyone was like, we've got to be about mission. It's about mission. So we tried mission. Being in Box Hill, we wanted to reach out to the Asian, very strong, it's since quadrupled, uh, Asian population there. Our first meeting about what we want to do as a church brought the whole church to on a Wednesday night. That's a pretty good sign. Like, something's happening. People are really engaging and wanting to do this. The first event we ran, two people turned up. And the second event we ran, no one turned up except for the people who wanted to be missionalised. This is an issue with the human heart. We can say we want stuff. But our religion is not what we believe. It is what shapes our behaviour. We've quickly realised that our Attempt to do mission was to tick a box because that's what you what? Should do. It didn't take long before a tree is known by its fruit and the fruit wasn't so great and West was the first one to close. I wish I could say it was for good reason. It wasn't for good reason. It was division. Division had taken root and it, it folded. Six months after that, North folded. Again, I wish I could say it's for good reason, people moving to bigger and better things, division took hold and it folded. And all we had left was the original mothership of South with its origins from 1867 and us in that weird office space trying our best. And sadly, South Folded. And I wish I could say it was for good reason. It wasn't division. This time it was just a toxic space where instead of a church going to the people to bring mission and be incarnational to the world around them without leadership, without doctrine, without belief, without discipleship, that very culture had become missional to the people. And so there are all sorts of behaviours going on that you don't want in any church. And um, it was handled really well. And Mark did an incredible job to get them to see that it was time to close. And when they acknowledged it, a number of people came to him and said, do you know what, we actually should have closed 18 months ago. This place has been dying of a slow cancer. 
And that cancer is a sin that had taken root in the community with a bunch of drugs and alcohol, not those, well, drugs aren't great, alcohol's not necessarily bad, uh, and sexual activity of a quite sordid kind had taken over. So we closed. Growth decline, growth decline. So we have this teeny tiny group of people in a random office in Box Hill with a bunch of pigeon poo. And that is when Mark is a senior leader and I'm asked to come on board. We'd worked together before. And we sat there in the office actually in shock at how much this latest and greatest thought and idea that had kicked off throughout Melbourne, kicked off throughout Australia, had since kicked off around the world, had not worked. I don't know if you've ever had that kind of, whether it be an identity crisis, an identity that used to rely on no longer meets that need or a paradigm you've had is challenged and you're kind of in shock and awe all at the same time. Um, but that was the reality for us. At this time, oh, our lesson was we needed to be the recipients of the mission of God before we could be passionate about the mission of God. Unless you have encountered here, not here, the personal zealous pursuit that the living Christ has got for you personally with your personal history and your personal story and your personal struggles and anxieties and pain and joys, it's all just here. And if it's all just here, we end up saying one word a lot, should. So we should do mission, so we tried only to realise we were the ones that needed to be the recipients of God's mission. And so within that, we realise that if there's no leadership, something to give purpose and direction, it just ends up like a flat balloon. By doctrine, I don't mean... I mean a beautiful orthodoxy that brings God's word and the history and the story that we live by alive in a way that we can understand and partner with and work towards and give witness to today... And if there's no discipleship, the following of this Jesus, actually becoming like him and dropping our nets, sacrificing, counting the cost and following him into wherever we need to go, then we're just going to be the, wilderness, the Israelites in the wilderness at best. And at worst, be cut right back and right down. In hindsight, the Lord pruned red. He cut it right back. We had a choice whether or not to keep the word red. I honestly felt a conviction that we needed to because the story wasn't over. This is just a new beginning. And the word red was intentional. They weren't just trying to be cool. They were wanting to create a network of churches around Melbourne that were centred around who Christ is and could bring that Christ to the surrounding people who desperately need it. Next to that, if you're in the Middle East, the Red Sea. Does anyone know what it's called in the Middle East? It's called the Sea of Reeds. And the role that reeds have in the Sea of Reeds or anywhere is they detox. They get rid of toxins, they get rid of pollutants. We realised there was a call on red to do a couple of things. Detox people from a culture they don't even realise has gotten to their bloodstream. And being a purity and a refinement. But also, what happens in the Red Sea when it's split? God's chosen people are called to leave a culture and an empire, a slavery 
that had defined them, that had shaped them, that had marked them to the point they didn't even know they were God's people and that he'd forgotten them. And he took them miraculously through the Red Sea, which we sung just earlier, to bring into a promised land. And part of the calling that is on Red is that the Lord wants to free his people from the lies, the myths, the captivity of the stories that have shaped your thinking and perspective that are not his heart for you because he's got new places to bring you and it's a spacious place and it's a freeing space. And so partly what Red's called to do is bring that detoxing effect and bring purity back, articulate the times we're in, the culture that we're in and actually...